Hello and welcome to this episode of Saved by the Belial, an atrocious Ultraman podcast, the show where we only have three minutes to talk about an episode of Ultraman. I'm David. I'm Chris. And we're excited to get into round two of the original Ultraman. But before we start our discussions, we have some listener feedback that we would like to share with you. Chris, if you could be so kind. Yeah, well, I can only be so kind because y'all have already been so kind. It's... We had just we've really just gotten started. So it's kind of crazy to see so many people already having having some thoughts. So, yeah. So the first one comes from Kaiju Noob. It says fantastic first intro episode, guys. So excited to hear more, uh, which is really good because we're excited to give you more. We're just happy that you are willing to listen and be along for the ride with us. Uh, our our darling friends at Monsters vs. Men left us some feedback. Just finished listening to the first episode of Saved by the Belial, and I'm already looking forward to the next one. Thank you, Chris, for the kind words. They are, of course, referring to the five-star review I left them on iTunes that you all should be as well, right? Um, David, I know, I know you've created about six bots to give them five-star reviews. Actually, seven. Oh, I did okay. one last night. Wow. See, we've got nothing for love for the Monsters vs. Men cast, so we definitely want you to pop over there. Uh, next comes from Michael Caples. Love what you guys are doing. Diving back into Ultraman, my childhood obsession, while I adjust to life as a new dad of twins during the pandemic. I sure do appreciate being able to stream the shows on my phone during all the adventures that come at all hours of the day and night, which is... Um, Quite unlike my experience, almost every single word, but uh, we are <laughs> super happy to have you on board. It's it's going to be really interesting and really like not to make this about me, but to, I'm really excited to see the way that these long term fans and people like me who have only been watching for a short while can kind of come together in these discussions. So happy to have you, Michael. And if you're listening to this at like four in the morning, we are looking forward to you being able to go back to sleep, maybe. Uh, and finally, Adam Garcia, I felt obligated to listen for the title alone and can't wait for more episodes. I, I like to promise that that wasn't the extent of our creativity, but if you're looking for our peaks, it's it's close. It's up there. Did the next uh, piece of feedback not show up for you? I only, had, Dropbox here. I only have these. Oh, well, bummer. Okay, so Do you want to read have, that one? Yeah. So we have a comment on YouTube from Gorgon. I believe you pronounce it your I Ellie. So I know it has to do with, I think it's like Greek mythology or something like that. So, mm. um, but this was on YouTube for the first episode that was released today in the day of recording. So, you know, we had talked about Ultraman committing genocide on the mm-hmm. Bolton mm-hmm. race, right? And his comment was, is an Ultraman an Ultraman if he didn't commit multiple war crimes? <laughs> so, you know. Something to think about. <laughs> that's just a brain. That's a brain teaser for us as we go on. Uh, yeah, even 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 the one I've seen, Ultraman Z, kind of addresses the same questions with the pirates. So, <laughs> just saying. Yeah. But uh, so we also did post something before recording and before we actually shared the first episode, uh, asking what you all thought should be the most beautiful kaiju, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've listened now, you've already heard our answers. But we asked y'all. And obviously, we can't share every single answer, but we did have a few on Twitter and Facebook that we wanted to share. So, uh, Shoujo Roboto actually made an animated GIF. Did you hear that? That's a hard <laughs> G. GIF. 
Uh, and it was a heart locket that opens up and says, Alien Bolton, my beloved. <laughs> uh, Lisa Nafziger argued that Gaysera needs more love. I agree with you there. Mm. Uh, Azure Blade uh, 13 said, Green Mons, he's literally a plant. LOL. And David on Facebook, not me, said, <laughs> Poor, <"Yes."> I think. <laughs> How can you top Godzilla acting under a pseudonym? <laughs> That's pretty good. But yeah, so before we get in here, one last thing. Uh, I did not say this the first episode, so please forgive me. But we wanted to give a shout out to everyone who's helped make the show what it is so far. So we do have to give a shout out to Clinda. She, that's not her real name, uh, but you can find her on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, well, Twitter is Clinda, uh, K-L-E-N-D-A underscore V. Uh, she's the one that did the podcast artwork, which is absolutely incredible. And then Queer Kaiju did our intro music again. So if you listen to the Kaiju Apostle podcast, we had the Ultra Q theme. Uh, they did that, and they did an awesome job with the Ultraman theme, which you've heard if you're mm -hmm. listening to this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, Geo has knocked it out of the park with our ending, uh, our outro track there, uh, which in typical Ultraman fashion, you might hear a different song. <laughs> halfway through each series and rob from tokyo lives graciously created uh the logo for uh our podcast which we weren't even really asking for he's just like oh that name's awesome let me see if i can draw <laughs> something up threw it over to us and it is yeah. absolutely wonderful and then eric schuster made our twitter banner which is a jock Belial shoving me and Chris into a locker. So, mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. that, yeah, he just killed it with that. <laughs> so, to everyone that we mentioned, seriously, thank you so much. Yes, I mean, we're just you. absolutely humbled by what you all have done for us. And we've all, we've had so many compliments on all of that, which has nothing to do with us. So, we mm -hmm. can't take any of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everyone keeps complimenting the parts we didn't have any part of. But yeah. yeah. That's all right. We love being collaborative like this, right? So... Yeah, I was going to make some joke about hip-hop and collaborating, but I got nothing. Mm. So maybe I should stop. Listen. <laughs> maybe. This is the content they come for, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, they come for the content at the end with your theological insights. So let's just go ahead and head, head over to that. Yes. The feedback that I didn't read was I kept saying Kaiju's name's wrong. So... Even this first one, when I went on Ultraman Wiki, which doesn't have a creative name like Wikipedia or even uh, the Godzilla ones, Gojipedia, how are we saying this first one? Because the subtitles and the name on his page were different. Yeah, so we're just going to opt for Gango. That's what okay. I'm saying. All right, all right. So, yeah, now we're going to get in part of the show where we talk about the different episodes. So... We're going to start with episode 11, The Rascal from Outer Space. The Hoshino and his friends see a shooting star and discover a strange, multicolored stone that transmogrifies into whatever they wish for. Wary of its power in the wrong hands, Hoshino brings the stone to the SSSP. During a press conference, a handicapped thief, Onida, beckons the stone to turn into a liquid so it can escape its container. He then wishes it into a rocket to fly to him allowing him to escape and holp in a seaside hotel. There, Onida creates a monster to cause mischief, but the effort renders Onida unconscious. The creature 
Gaengo now seems invincible, even to Ultraman, as its creator is unable to awaken and wish it away. Did you ever watch any of those G.I. Joe PSAs, like the overdubbed versions that used to be big on like, like maybe like E-Bombs World or whatever and moved to YouTube? Oh, yeah. Like when Roadblock was telling me not to play against downed power lines. Yeah, but like the the fake ones. I just oh, remember yeah. there's one where the sailor asks the kid, he's like, does your mom still visit dockside bars? For some <laughs> reason, when it says seaside there, they That's just like you think of that. <laughs> That oh, and Transmogrify just makes me think of uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. How is, that he how is the kaiju's name not the most difficult part of this? I don't know. It's Transmogrify. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> whoever says that. Yeah. So. It, it especially, especially when you're trying to sell me on an episode. And we have to go back to how descriptive the episodes, the episode descriptions are. They're not summaries. They are write-ups. They are book reports. <laughs> right. So, uh... Yeah, I feel like this episode should just be called Yango Unchanged, right? <laughs> My God. <laughs> and I meant to say Unchained, but apparently I said Unchanged. So Even though his whole bit is that he changes. I know. But that's okay. Yeah, so how do you feel about this episode? I I feel like I could say this for almost every episode we're talking about tonight, but it does kind of correct me up how much different this show is from episode to episode. Absolutely. Like, at, Ultra Q felt like very loosely anthologized. Like we got mostly the same cast, but you go from like the giant ape to the flower tendrils to the that little boy's tortoise turtle adventure. I, but yeah, <laughs> Ultraman is the same way. It's like the, like a handicapped thief, and like it was it was it was creative though. This was like yeah. I love how it's like kind of stretching into like fantasy with wishes and transformations. So. Yeah, this one actually, I mean, there's several in this batch that really actually felt like Ultra Q to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like with the Stone's telepathy and the way that, you know, just the effects, like the the way everything was changing, right? Like I love the cake effect when it was slowly coming together. And mm-hmm. then with the piano, like it definitely was a very... Uh, it, Ultra Q makes sense because obviously it's the same, it's a lot of the same people, you know, mm-hmm. working on it. Um, and obviously having E.G. Subarai being the uh, the creator of both. But yeah, it's just, it's such a unique and fun episode, especially in the fact that like, he doesn't, like, the fight. I mean, Gango doesn't want to fight, right? He, mm-hmm. he he tickles, like Ultraman <laughs> tickles him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Which would make me that, stop too. Right. So I don't blame him. But no, absolutely. It's, it's, the transition isn't as bad as I thought. It's. Ultra Q, Ultraman, and then all the silly stuff I know now. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of saying more, and I'm like... Mm, that's the let's... problem. We don't have the time. We've got I three know. minutes. I know. But I didn't want to be every episode. Be like, <laughs> that's what we have to do. <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. So, episode 12. Cry of the Mummy. An archaeological dig at a cave uncovers a well-preserved 7,000-year-old mummy, which appears to be more simian than human. After transport, the creature revives at the science center. With the cops and SSSP in pursuit, the mummy flees. Unfortunately, many miles away, Dodongo, a giant monster, breaks out from the cave and goes on a rampage, destroying a mining operation. The SSSP flies to the scene, 
but the monster's deadly rays force them to make a land assault and blind the monster. After Ultraman puts an end to the beast using his spacium beam, Ide sees Hayata atop a hill where Ultraman had disappeared and his suspicions about his fellow agent grow. This is one of the ones where the three minutes is a little is a little too little, but especially like there's so many options, but like talking about it's it's about a mummy, and then somewhere else Link is throwing bombs into Dodongo's mouth to stop him. And then the whole we talked last week, I think, about how it's not really a superhero show where there's not like someone trying to unmask Ultraman every day. But when it's introduced here, I kinda like it. It's a nice little like we talk one of our awards, right? Is how does he get away with transforming like that? Mm-hmm. And the episode, and now it's finally like saying, "Huh, it doesn't always actually." Kind of like, yeah, that. yeah. It's uh, first of all, I appreciate the Legend of Zelda reference <laughs> always, but this is it's such a weird episode. Mm-hmm. Like the mummy, you know, that mm-hmm. simian element that was that was strange. But then, like, you you almost. I almost would have been happy if there wasn't the dragon. Like, if they could have just kept it as the mummy. Mm. Right? Like, I get why they had it there, but I I was more interested by the mummy than the dragon itself. Uh, Not to mention the fact that when the the dragon's crying, the roar is the Mothra cry, Mm. which is really, like, tonal whiplash for me. Yeah. like, wait. (laughs) Some of these reuses uh, don't quite work for me. Mm Um. I wasn't impressed with the actual design of the monster, though. I mean, I, it's kind of, I'm not surprised why we haven't really seen this one again compared mm-hmm. to like Red King or Pigmon or Gaysera or anything like that. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. It is, it wasn't the prettiest one. It, it is a little bit more creative than Zelda's, which was just big lizard. But yeah, yeah, it, it really was at this, at this point, I am still kind of interested in the mummy. Not necessarily because the mummy itself was so compelling, but just in terms of the genre, a mummy is so weird. It's such an unusual A mummy choice. with laser eyes. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of story behind it's It's one of those things where it's like there was so much story that could have been pulled out of just the mummy, but mm-hmm. then we kind of get all of this going on. Yeah. I will say seeing Ultraman ride it was really funny. I mean, <laughs> they completely blinded it, and that was horrible but yeah. you know and then the end when it dies it just twitches for like 10 <laughs> seconds yeah <laughs> like did you have to keep doing that yeah we had to watch it like suffer <laughs> which i just try to imagine the person in the suit how what what was their direction they're just like they're just like sit and twitch <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah it's just I, I will say it was really funny though at the end, like E Day thinking like he could be Ultraman. I love that like this is something they're playing into. I'm sure you finished that sentence. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> His mouth was moving, but there's nothing except an explosion. All right. So on this next one, episode 13, Oil SOS. After a series of mysterious oil refinery disasters. A gasoline truck on a Tokyo Bay dock explodes in the dead of night. The only witness, a drunken dock worker, claims that a sea monster is responsible. But he is dismissed, at least until Pestar, the oil monster, attacks an oil tanker in broad daylight. Muromatsu plans to lure it out to sea. With the situation grim, Hayata transforms into Ultraman to stop Pestar. 
After a tough fight, Ultraman then turns his attention to the fire, helping Ide extinguish it with high-pressure water produced from his hands. The Ultra Water Stream. Oh, Lord, it's pesta. <laughs> okay. Having seen, having seen none of the kaiju that didn't appear in uh, Z, seeing this, this beautiful monstrosity appear on my tiny little computer screen was such a delight. Because I just didn't know how creative some of these some of these old ones are, but seeing this one was just like kind of two sea stars stitched next to each other. I was like, <laughs> "What a delight! What a terrible design! I love it." <laughs> oh man, you can't you can't hate him on like that. I said I love him. You said it was a terrible design. Oh, it, I mean, it's like no. <laughs> you can tell this was definitely like a sixty series because they're like, "What if it's a real thing, but like kind of kooky?" But it's so kooky. I they do in 1966 Ultraman. Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Gosh, I can we just talk about the uh Ultraman Netflix because he's my favorite favorite streamer now. You know, with his ultra water stream. Oh god. <laughs> What's oh. his Twitch channel? Oh man. And I thought I had the dad jokes. <laughs> Oh, that's bad. It's, uh, I will say at the end, after he didn't even really defeat Paystar because the SSSP did that, yeah. you know, he's just like looking over everything, like surveying the damage. And in my, in it, I could just imagine him thinking like, I don't get paid enough for this crap. Mm-hmm. He's just, <laughs> especially after not really getting any action out of it. Like I, I, I'd seen this episode before and I forget that like they don't fight. Like, Paysar kind of puts his head up and, like, puts it back down. Which <laughs> That's about it. Honestly, the more I watch Sentai, and some Sentai series do this worse than others. Like, Mega Ranger is... I've talked before on this show and in Kaiju Apostle that sometimes when you do a mech fight, I'm just like, oh, it's kind of boring. Kind of just makes mm-hmm. the episode a little longer. So when it doesn't get me into the giant monster fights, sometimes I'm like, That's okay. Yeah. I'm kind of down for that. Yeah, because I mean, this was a fun episode. Apart from mm-hmm. that, like the the actual practical effects were really cool, like the explosion with the tankers and all that. And then there's one part where the jet VTOL lands, and it pans over to the left to the explosion. Like it's just, I love shots like that. So I mean, there was enough in the episode to keep me engaged, even though there wasn't actually any like real fights going on. Mm-hmm. It's just funny to me because like. I was expecting it, even having seen him. Like, oh wait, yeah, there's like nothing to this. Yeah, there's not a lot of him. Yeah, but apart from it looking like Ultraman's peeing on the fire, of course. (laughs) Yeah, well, gotta put it out somehow. Stream of justice. I don't know if I like the explosion coming right after the words stream of justice. <laughs> We're also not going to tell people how many times we had to record that because of technical difficulties. <laughs> no, sir. All right. Is it my turn to read? I it think sure it's my is. turn to read. All right. So episode 14, the Pearl Defense Directive. After Gama Kugira, a giant monster, attacks a truck carrying crates of cur- cult- cult- cur- cultured pearls, the SSSP flies to the scene. With conventional weapons useless, the creature files a, fires a whale-like water spout at the jet VTOL, corroding the engines and grounding the SSSP overnight. You can tell that this was written 
not meant to be read out because otherwise mm-hmm. it would keep saying science patrol, not SSSP. Mm-hmm. Um, since the creature converts the pearls into energy, the science patrol <laughs> hypothesized that by creating special pearl sized explosives, they could potentially confuse the creature. Indeed, it works only a little too well. Gamma Kugira grows furious. The science patrol fires a high powered rocket into the monster's hide, hurtling it into the sky. Injured but alive, Hayata transforms into Ultraman and flies up into the monster, which explodes. (laughs) So this is your first exposure to a Jisoji episode. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is the the director, and you're going to find his episodes are very unique. Sure. That's 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 all you're going to say so far? Yeah. I did I did find it interesting that after an episode where the science patrol effectively deals with the kaiju, now we've got to a point where they're kind of useless again. Mm-hmm. I like the I like this kind of like you know, sometimes when you get a power up or sometimes you're like the main character, you just win every time. And sometimes the stakes have to be erased. I like sometimes how the stakes are just like, well, our weapons don't work. Sometimes military weaponry is useless. And even even their creativity only serves to make it even more mad. Ooh, yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It was like, because I think as you're watching it as the audience, you're like, oh, yeah, feed it some pearls. It wants them. That's just going to hurt it more. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> I was wrong, too. I don't like being wrong with the main characters. Which it was impressive that they made that pearl bomb so quickly. Well, yeah. Well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, So I really thought this episode is actually what intrigued me about this episode is that we see a monster that if you really think about it, the only sin it's committed is eating these pearls, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's the only reason why they're trying to stop it is because it's trying to search out the pearls. But why is it trying to search out the pearls? It's because we as humans have continually harvested the pearls from oysters, whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not a marine biologist, right? So the point being is if we hadn't gone out of our way to take those pearls from the sea, Mm -hmm. Gamma Kugira wouldn't have had a need to go to the cities. So I was thinking about that where this is really a monster of our own design, right? Like, why do we have Mm -hmm. pearls? It's for our own aesthetics. It's for our own pride. You know, even Mm -hmm. that, that, like that quote of just like, you know, um, Fuji talking about, you know, that's the spite of a woman. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I don't remember if she said that or someone said that, but that's that whole idea that like she's going to do whatever she can to get those pearls, which I'm not against, you know, women, you know, wearing what they need to to feel attractive. But I think it just buys into that idea. Like, what are we actually doing as a consumerist society and what are the ramifications for that? Yeah, absolutely. Because if 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 the kaiju ate something that we were less interested in or something that we couldn't use, we couldn't commercialize, then it like wouldn't student, have been such a student problem. student loan debt? Yeah, well, I would love yeah. I would love a kaiju to eat my student loan debt. <laughs> Subarai, that one's on, that's on the house. <laughs> it's going to be the next Ultra show, Ultra Forgiveness. <laughs> Just makes me think of uh, Godzilla vs. Gigan. Remember uh, Mamagon oh, and gosh. the other monsters that he made up? Okay. Oh, funny. All right. Let's do it. Next one. Terrifying cosmic rays. 
An increase of unknown cosmic rays penetrating the atmosphere causes a schoolboy's monster drawing, Gavadon, to come to life. Despite its meek appearance, the science patrol attacks the creature. After losing its tail, Gavadon moves away to sleep. It awakens at sunset and heads towards the horizon, vanishing before the science patrol's eyes. That night, Mushiba and his friends gather to redraw Gavadon. At night, the monster comes back to life, only to immediately fall asleep. Not convinced of the creature's intent, Muramatsu attacks Gavadon with conventional weapons. However, Hayata falls into a reservoir, and Ultraman appears to carry the monster into space, saving the day. These ultra-cosmic rays are Gavadon's attempt to create his own little sitcom world, where he lives with his fallen robot husband, and lives through all of the 19th century sitcoms. Gava Vision. Gava Vision, <laughs> yes. Can you believe we didn't play that one? <laughs> no, I, I would pay for that. <laughs> I would give Disney my money for that. Mm-hmm. I would not use your Disney Plus account. He doesn't mean that, Disney. (laughs) Uh, This is such a fun episode. This is another one of one of my favorite episodes, um, and just really this whole this whole era. Um, First of all, the whole like, what's hey, what's this monster called? That's Beethoven. (laughs) Like, it's such a fun way to set the tone here. Mm -hmm. But again, we we see an ending where Ultraman's like, hey, it's not worth killing this monster because he doesn't want to traumatize the kids. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, your drawing comes to life and Ultraman beats Ultra Snot out of it. That's not fun. Oh, no. Not at all. It did feel very Q-ish, though, that it was a child's drawing that came to life. Mm-hmm. Just in the same one. I, I keep talking about the turtle episode of Ultra Q because it is so weird. But it also is a pretty paradigmatic episode for the series. Like, if you want people to know what Ultra Q is, show them the turtle episode. And this one kind of has that same vibe to me. Like, it's a kid's creation comes to life. Yeah, there were just so many good lines in this one. Like, I I really had to not choose every single line from this episode for our uh, Aim for its Butthole Award. Um, (laughs) You know, like, the next day, despite not having any sort of field trip, the children woke early for once. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those rats finally looked forward to school. I know. But I mean, so this is what I was talking about last time, though. So the director here is, you know, Akio Jisoji, and the screenplay is the same person, Mamoru Sasaki, right? So, like, they they work so well together, and they make some of the most, in my opinion, iconic episodes of this era. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just even small things like when Hayata is getting washed downstream, and he just raises his hand out of the water to transform. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, and honestly, like, just this little bit of like seeing that Ultraman's not just a con- uh, just not not a typical superhero that's just like big monster better kill it, but we get a little bit of that interplay between, as Marvel puts it, the Ultra and the Man here. <laughs> you can't see my face, but I'm being silly. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it definitely gives a. I mean, at, at this point, I'm sure he's had a sit down about his genocidal tendencies. It's like, okay, you can't keep doing this. (laughs) You literally cannot keep doing this. Oh. Did you get my text the other night about Antlar? I might have been when I my phone was dying. Yeah, I was like, uh, something along the lines of like, 
Are you stuck in the desert and need help defeating a giant bug monster? I know a guy. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, episode 16, Science Patrol into Space. The Science Patrol closely monitors the launch of the first Venus expeditionary uh, yeah, rocket engineered and piloted by Professor Mori. All systems are go until communications are interrupted. An alien race, the Baltans, wait a minute, <laughs> wait, announced yes. they are preparing a counterattack to destroy the Science Patrol and Ultraman. On high alert, Muramatsu, Hayata, and Arashi go to rescue Mori. Possessed by a Baltan, Mori causes the space VTOL to crash on the alien Baltan's planetoid. The Baltans begin their assault on Tokyo. Destroy the Bal- destroying the Baltan, possessing Mori, Ultraman uses teleportation to fight the threat back on Earth. Uh, so apparently Ultraman is Goku with his instant transmission. Like, where did this come mm-hmm. from? <clears throat> I did. I'm so glad he thought of that. That's so funny. But yeah, this I also the Baltans are probably one of the most like familiar monsters or the familiar kaiju. I think every episode of the every issue of the Rise of Ultraman had one on the cover at some point. It's one of the most easy to get vinyl toys. So it's like, hey, I know that guy. Yeah. But <clears throat> the possession angle is kind of different. That got a little into the headier sci-fi. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's a nice touch for sure. You know, apart from the fact that apparently Ultraman didn't kill all the Baltans, which, mm-hmm. you know, makes me think of like ancient Near Eastern war rhetoric, right? When it's like, oh, they slaughtered all the men, women, and children, but then they're in the next chapter. So it's like, mm, maybe they Yeah, they're still there. Yeah. yeah, Anakin may have slain all the Tusken Raiders, but we don't see the ancient Near East actually carrying that out, so... Well, in it, that camp, at least. And there were yeah, still Tusken camp. Raiders later. <clears throat> but it does it does kind of bring up those discussions. I know you were you shared a Twitter thread about Christian imagery in the series. Do you wanna with what little time we have talk about that a little? Um, maybe when that person actually comes on the show, maybe we oh, can talk about that a little interesting. bit. Oh, sorry, spoilers. spoilers. Um I will say it was one of my favorite parts about the episode was Professor Mori wearing his nice suit and slacks mm-hmm. and space boots. White <laughs> space boots. I yeah, mean, well. this just goes against everything we have ever seen in pop culture about what you wear in space. A suit and white boots. Oh, you gotta look nice for the aliens, man. But, but he wasn't even really expecting it. He was just gonna go to Venus, right? I mean, maybe he was gonna pick up a date. I don't know. Well, I was trying to think, like, men go to Jupiter, get more stupider. And it's like, what rhymes with Venus that I can say on a family-friendly podcast? Weenus. The skin weenus. on your elbow. Get more weenus. Yeah. Yeah. But it is. it was, was kind of an interesting. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's an interesting in 22 minutes exploration of, like, uh, even touching on colonialism and invasion. And mm-hmm. it's not new to Ultraman. It's certainly not new to Godzilla fans. So. No. Did you like how, like, the episode just suddenly ends? Like, there's no real, like, resolution. Like, Hayata's just, like, passed out. Yeah. They don't even really think twice. Like, they don't even say it's Hayata. You just have to assume, like, oh, wait, here's this passed out person. Huh, I wonder what happened. Okay. Yeah, I was like, so to be continued? Nope.
All right. You're going to hit that boop button. All right. So. Oh, crap. I haven't read it. Too early. Yeah, you got to read. Go. This one, <laughs> this one focuses on my favorite Hillary Duff song, Sir Yesterday. So the great explorer, Sir Yesterday, vanishes after returning with a strange meteoroid. The science patrol soon learns that there are two of these strange extraterrestrial objects, which can individually wreak havoc with space and time. The other meteorite is with Professor Kawaguchi. When the pair of objects are brought together, they combine into a singular giant creature, Bolton, which plunges science patrol headquarters into the fourth dimension. That's where I saw Shrek. The effect warps everyone within into a world of surreal relativity, save for Hayata, Fuji, and Hoshino. The self-defense forces are rendered helpless against the dimensional onslaught. Even Ultraman is stymied. Stymie, get me a Danish! <laughs> I can't do a strong bad voice, that's horrible. Uh, it's close enough, though. Gosh. <laughs> Ever since Flash went down, we are the only place you can get Homestar Runner references on the internet. Apart from the Homestar Runner podcast, which does exist. Oh, I didn't know we were hosting two shows. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I, man, I would love to do that, but I know I've disappointed somebody. Like, Homestar mm-hmm. fans are so specific. Yeah, well, anyway. Um, so, so you recognize this monster, right? Yeah. Uh, he. After, I made sure to look him up again after the episode. I always do, just to make sure I'm not talking about a kaiju that I'm not actually talking about. Mm-hmm. But Bolton are some of my favorite. Ep- right now, this is one of my favorite episodes. But also just in terms of all of that I've seen of Ultraman, he he was kind of the driving force behind one of my favorite Ultraman episodes or Ultraman Z episodes uh, going into the fourth dimension where Haruki just keeps climbing up the stairs and just can't mm-hmm. escape it until he overcomes his internal doubt. But this one doesn't quite have the same technological budget as Z does, but they still work really well within the constraints to make ability to do anything oh, like honestly. that. Honestly, <laughs> well, even Z, even Z, like sometimes characters just flow on the harnesses. But oh, this know. one I thought was really creative for saying what the fourth dimension is and how it affects you as like a three dimensional person. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just it's so unique. I mean, it, again, it has the the ultra q vibes we've seen from a few of these episodes already but what what i love about this is it's so simple like nowadays if any other show would have tried to do an episode like this outside of ultraman right Mm -hmm. we'd need two episodes to explain the backstory of the meteorite like what all the science is between the fourth dimension i'm like i don't care yeah just give me a story that i want to watch and this does it you know but mm-hmm. it's it's funny, like, I actually wish we would have got a little bit more of the fight just because it was so unique. Like, yeah. This is one of the few times where I'm like, I actually want more action. I actually would have, I would have liked to see a little more too. Yeah, it's such an interesting scenario where Ultraman is, It's it, it exists in a world where you believe it all. It doesn't need to explain it all, but it explains enough that you're like, okay, yeah, I buy this all. But it never really wants to sit on its own creativity and show it off, which I kind of like, but sometimes I'm like, Hey, Hey, that's really cool. Let's stay here for a minute. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, There's definitely a lot of show rather than telling. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate that. That's compelling. So yeah. Also, Hoshino gets his uniform. (laughs) 
Finally, he deserves it. Yeah. All right. Episode 18. Brother from another planet. After radioactive fog blankets Tokyo, Ide and Arashi investigate and encounter an alien being, identifying himself as a benevolent envoy from the advanced civilization of the planet Zarab, Zarab, excuse me, Zarab, I don't, I don't know. Uh, he removes the deadly fog as an act of good faith and brotherhood. When Ide falls under some strange influence, the science patrol keeps watch. Hayata follows Zarab into the ionosphere where the alien abducts Hayata as his jet VTOL crashes while Ultraman destroys the city. Hoshino manages to locate and set Hayata free, but is captured by the now violent Ultraman who is really Zarab in disguise. Using the beta capsule, Hayata becomes the real Ultraman. You know, it's in- it's interesting to me that this is our first episode with an evil Ultraman. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty early in the show, but it's I I, ca- I would have thought we would seen something a little bit sooner. But maybe they didn't have an extra suit to be the evil one too quick. <laughs> well, and it's funny too because in universe, like wouldn't they recognize that the Doppel Ultra wasn't the real one because of the eyes and the pointed feet? Like, I feel like that would be very obvious to be like, huh, this Ultraman's act. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you see the eyes? He's clearly evil. Well, you know, you do say that, but sometimes when I watched Ultra Conspiracy, the absolute conspiracy, I would see four Ultras on the screen and I'd be like, if you didn't label, if they weren't wearing name tags, you might convince mm. me that there are only two on screen right now. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, and some of that's just because, like, some are really close, but some of that's just me. You know, I can't always <laughs> pick out different ultra people in a lineup. Yeah. But, um, How did you yeah. feel about this alien, though? Like, I was really curious to hear about your thoughts about, like, his personality and everything. You know, my bigger thought of what this all, the bigger import behind the villain what struck me was that this is a story about radioactive fog still, you know, in the sixties. So we're not very far from the fallout of world war two. Still. I mean, Godzilla, as we know, is still dealing with radioactivity this far out and it's not really Mm -hmm. even that far out. So I wonder what it's like to say what it's like to have a villain who cures the land of radioactivity. Yeah. Yeah. It's. And obviously he created it. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the it's it's an interesting dynamic. Um I, I had put a note in here of like the idea of Satan casting out Satan in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Right. Obviously it's not a one for one there, but it is interesting to see that trope of like the bad guy is gonna create a problem and then he solves it to try to get the trust. But mm-hmm. thankfully the science patrol, I mean, there's there's enough skepticism going on where they don't just blindly accept it or at least before Mm -hmm. it's too late um i do love the introduction of the uh the aliens know who ultraman really is trope though Mm. because we see this more later but like it's always the aliens that know because it's almost like they can sense sure they're kind right there's something else going on within ultraman that's kind of messed up here yeah but uh, yeah, I mean the the beginning of this episode fairly it's a fairly startling uh, opener compared to a couple of the ones that we've seen. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's it's funny because this is the episode Jasper always wants to watch because there's two Ultraman. But after I watch again, I'm like, am I a bad dad? And the answer is yes. <laughs> 
Hey. Hey. All right. Episode 19. Demons rise again. So the Science Patrol investigates a metal cylinder unearthed at a construction site, which Professor Fukuyama speculates is over 350,000 years old and left behind by a highly advanced civilization. Within this proverbial Pandora's box, they find a container with a strange blue liquid and a reflective metal plate, but something is missing. The missing container ends up at a dump site, and when struck by lightning, transforms into the crimson monster Banala. The blue container unleashes the blue Abaris, and the two creatures converge at the national stadium and begin to fight. When Abaris mites Banala with his acid foam, Ultraman is nearly overwhelmed. Y'all are gonna tweet me about the pronunciations. I already, I already know. It's all right. At it's Chris fine. Worms. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how to do it either. I'm like, uh, vanilla. Like how my son <laughs> says vanilla. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I actually counted how many times they say three hundred million five thousand, and it ends up being five times. Wow, well, it's so specific. Yeah, honestly. I, as I read that number, I was like, wait, was that right? But <laughs> that's why we copy the official description, right? The extra 5,000 is so important. Uh, oh, God wow. forbid you leave that 5,000 off because so much changes. Who knows what happened before then? <laughs> yeah, honestly, though, I, I, I like. So after we talked about the mummy episode earlier, which has like two separate ideas floating around, uh-huh. I was like, okay, I can take a three way monster fight here. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I uh, it was a bit gruesome the way that <laughs> Abaris kills Banala. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I knew it was happening. I just forgot. And I'm like, oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and can we just talk about the miniature work that had to be put together for this episode? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why the description was written the way it was, because it's like you have to know that someone built this. Yeah, it's so extensive. It's definitely incredibly impressive. Yeah. It was one of those ones where it's like sometimes you can see the little matchbox cars on the floor, but mm-hmm. sometimes you watch this and you almost forget for a little bit. Yeah. So I was impressed with this one's work. Absolutely. I mean, every episode has something to say, but this one definitely was a mm-hmm. bit more. You the can tell scale. there's a lot more emphasis put on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scale was very, very evident. Mm-hmm. Um. I did have two really important thoughts, though. So first of all, with a construction scene like that, you know, when they find the capsule, like, I really wanted to know, did they just find someone already working on something and, like, pay to interrupt it? Did they, like, (laughs) stage it themselves? Like, I'm genuinely curious about how that went down. So Mm -hmm. if anybody knows, like, what the trend is for shows like this, I would be very interested. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... I was very, very confused why they only did 100,000 volts instead of 300 million, 5,000. And tell us five times. I know. <laughs> that I know. is funny. Yeah, I did like the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. I was just saying they had a Mu Empire reference. I don't know if you remember that from Atragon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not just Atragon, but I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Well, nice okay. World I remembered it as the submarine reference. <laughs> <laughs> if if this was I have one more comment I'm sorry 
if this was like a Star Wars thing, I'm like, they're so connected. MCU brain is firing. I'm like, where does this fit into the end game? No. Thank God we don't have to do that here, right? I know. Not yet, I at know. least. No, it's uh, that takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> all right. Last episode, episode 20, Terror on Route 87. Muramatsu Hayatics on. Oh. <laughs> I'm leaving that glare in. Hopefully, you guys can hear that. <laughs> Our viewers at home are going to still be like, whoa, what is that feeling? <laughs> okay. Uh, Muramatsu, Hayata, and Arashi investigate reports of strange flashing lights at Mount Ormuro. These events have been coupled with a rash of sudden attacks on visitors and zookeepers at the nearby animal park. The monster breaks through the top of Mount Muro and goes on a rampage, attacking trucks along Route 87. Muramatsu initiates Ultra Operation Number 2 in attacking the monster using their VTOLs. Hayata is injured and taken to a mobile triage center, while Arashi commandeers a gasoline truck to lure out Hydra. Hey, Hydra. The jumping is safety, Arashi blasts the truck, which wounds the monster. As Hydra pursues Arashi, Hayata becomes Ultraman. What a shock. What a twist. <laughs> what a twist. Oh, man. This one. Oh, what are you? Oh, are you stretching? Uh, I'm just stretching, man. Oh, You're man. Because I was about to say, like, of all the ones, I think I had the le- the less, the least amount to say about this one. And I see you going, like, stretching, looking like you've got all the things to say. Oh, I actually have quite a bit to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think you've seen most of the... I think you've only seen Gamera Super Monster from the show era. Gamera um, Space assume, Woman, yes. Yeah, Gamera and the Space Woman, sorry. Mm-hmm. But okay. there's actually two references I want to make to the Gamera series mm-hmm. in this episode. Okay. So, which I found out, first of all, uh, this episode would have come out four months prior to Gamera vs. Gaius, which is interesting to me. I bring that up because that glowing light at the top of the mountain, there's a scene in Gamera vs. Gaius that's pretty similar to that where this light comes up from like a mountainside, and it's a very similar green as well. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. They're both flying monsters, so that was interesting too. Mm. Um, but the more actually like significant point is the fact that with the traffic accidents. So I remember when I watched Gamera vs. Giron, the comment that this kid makes where he wishes that there was a world, the world was free of traffic accidents, like that it makes sense to me when I watched it. I'm like, what a random, odd thing to want, right? Mm-hmm. But I spent some time looking into it a bit, and it appears that because of the economic boom from the late 50s to the late 60s, In Japan, there's actually a substantial increase in deaths related to automobiles that would be dubbed the traffic war. Mm. So that is actually this. There's a reason why this was included. I mean, obviously, people still get hit by cars now. Mm -hmm. This is like an incredibly prevalent problem for for Japanese children, which is why you see like the, the bright colored hats and backpacks and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to share the the link I have to a, uh, a scholarly article about that. I'll share that in the show notes. But I thought that was interesting, just, again, seeing kind of the correlation. Um, just Japanese monster movies and shows addressing real-world problems. Yeah, I think, we kind of fi- I think we kind of figured this out with the keys from the Godzilla series. 
where it's like something that completely flies over our head as Americans, but then mm-hmm. we look into it and it's like, oh wow, actually maybe they were work- making a show for their own culture. Yeah. But hey, this these episodes are why we have the two of us who have such different uh, viewpoints that can bring in such different stuff, right? Right. So I I will say when they were freaking out about the animals going crazy, I would be scared if an ostrich was going nuts. Uh, yeah. They are ridiculous. Oh, I'd be hiding my head. <laughs> Moving yeah. on to the awards. Oh man. Some there are some awards here. So I think we can start with the most beautiful kaiju award. This one is probably the most straightforward. Yeah. And I I think you and you're probably going to guess I'm going to go one way, but actually I'm going to go with um, Gango. I thought that one was, I, I really liked his design, honestly, the colors and everything. So We chose the same monster. Oh, great minds. I, had, I almost went with Starfish. I almost went, but I was like, no, I got to look at this one. I Can I, can I let you know the secret of how I choose these? It's always, if I only had to buy one of the vinyl toys from this episode, <laughs> from our episode, which one yeah. would I buy? And that's, he's the one. That's so. awesome. Yeah, it's it's just such a unique design. I mean, I was, it was for me, it was between uh, Gango and Gavadon. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, since we have the same answer, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the next one. <laughs> uh, Monster Graveyard Award. So I actually had a tie mm-hmm. for this. I really couldn't make a decision so it was a tie between paystar um the fact that the science patrol does all the heavy lifting for Mm -hmm. ultraman this time around uh and then gavadon who doesn't even really die on screen he just becomes embodied in the holiday that is july 7th which (laughs) i have queued up a tweet for july 7th already oh to celebrate gavadon so all right well i had to go with the bandola abaris fight I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a little more crass than your choices, but I feel like this show is going to make me go, oh, my goodness, more times than I can count. And that was one of them. So. And people say Zack Snyder's Justice League is edgy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. He could take a note or two from here. So the only thing Ultraman's missing is the F word. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, what did you do for the, uh, how in the heck did he get away with that award? Um, just in general, this one isn't as creative, but when Hayat is injured and taken away and then has to still come back as Ultraman, I just kind of thought that was such a, that was such a mundane way to set up stakes for the episode. Like, dude's hurt. How's he going to be Ultraman? Are you talking about the, the last episode with Hail Hydra? Okay. Which I know, I know, we we want to do these big silly ones, but I just that one I really just kind of liked. It was so like simple, and sometimes I like the simple. Yeah, I get that. I did uh, the one with uh, you know brother from another planet. I just I love the tension of him being captured. You know, Hoshino coming to the rescue, the frustration that he can't free Hayat, and then he starts crying as the water that saves mm-hmm. him, and then he's like, "Hey, get away from here! You know, you need to go be safe. I can't fight." If I'm distracted by you, mm-hmm. like that was such a way of being like, Hey, I'm Ultraman, but he doesn't say it. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that. So that's a pretty good one. Oh, what's our next one? I can never remember this, this one. 
the look on your face you're playing coy it's aim for his butthole award oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so i chose the episode with uh gavadon and i chose i gave you life the one who gave you life is asking try a little harder <laughs> which which that itself might be a theological import of the night <laughs> uh, it's also what every parent wants or does say to their child mm-hmm. i've ta- i've given you life into this world i can take it right out um I had to go for the one that's a real hashtag mood, which is, look, it's the worst situation. <laughs> it's so good. I almost went with that. I, I truly, I had truly almost went with that So one. just in case, like, in case we get trolled or something happens, that's mm-hmm. going to get queued up. So I'm so excited to see that one. I will say I have to share one side note, like okay. my runner up. Fujikun, send a warning to the Pacific Coast area to watch out for four balloons. <laughs> the 95 other red ones might be behind it. Gosh. Uh, Chris, what did uh, what was your favorite episode? I have to go check the episode name again real quick, but I'm going with Bol- uh, Passport to Infinity with Bolton. Yeah, I can see that. I, that one might probably stick with me for a lot longer than a lot of them have so that's cool i'm glad i'm glad that one stuck out to you it's such a unique episode mm-hmm. i mean apart from the fact that bolton's cl- clearly a metaphor for the united states because red white and blue but mm-hmm. yeah. we don't have right. enough time to get into that and to unpack the yeah. colonialist tendencies that they were trying to touch on mm-hmm. but if what you want to know more watch episode? thor ragnarok <laughs> Hell and Bolton, kind of different types of villains, but because that's the only movie that touches on that topic. (laughs) It's the only one. Yeah, it's the only one we as nerds know. (laughs) Oh man, Um, I have another tie. It was it was hard. I literally could not make a decision. Um, A rascal from outer space or a terrifying cosmic rays. They're both just such fun episodes. I. I would say Rascal from Outer Space probably edges out a little bit just because Gango going around the hotel was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Easily one of the best scenes of Ultraman I've ever seen, especially the pool scene. That was so good. But I just, it was tough. I don't know. So don't it's know. not afraid to be silly. It's not afraid to be deep. It's not afraid to be dark and it's not afraid to give you tonal whiplash and i appreciate seeing that even in all of these all two of these 10 episode blocks that we've done we're not getting stuck on certain moods too long we're not getting stuck on certain ideas but we can Mm -hmm. move back and forth and it doesn't feel like i'm getting my tones back and forth i whip my tones back and forth (laughs) man we're gonna have to start licensing out some songs right well with all this fat money we're making I'm doing the viewers at home. I was making it rain. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So next episode, we are discussing episodes 21 through 30. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Do not deny the people. What we're getting there. We're getting there. No, that's next. All right, fine. So it's pretty hard not to see Ultraman as the Jesus figure, right? 
just as yeah. Joker is the Snyder versus Jesus, you have Hayata weeping for the people that he wants to save, just as Jesus in the most quoted Bible verse, John eleven thirty eight, Jesus wept, so too Ultraman. But also, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He says, if only you knew that your hour of reckoning has come, and he weeps over the people who don't listen to him. And Hayata is weeping over the people he doesn't know if he can save or not. But more importantly than that, just as Ultraman's Ultra Stream puts out the fires, the stream of water that comes from Jesus' side when he hangs on the cross purifies us from the fires of hell and brings us up from our eternal damnation into life of the age to come. So Jesus' Ultra Stream can purify you if only you let it. This was the modern day Pentecost. It's just tongues of <laughs> fire just coming down. <laughs> we'll put a link in the description to the tongues of fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Okay, what episodes are we doing next? <laughs> oh man. Uh, next episode, we're doing the breach of the wall of smoke to the Phantom of the Snow Mountains. <sighs> with all the other dad jokes and theological insights you've come to expect and dread. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so thank you for listening to our podcast. If you are enjoying our show, uh, we ask that you would chant our name over at Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review, which, by the way, we do have two five-star reviews now. No reviews, like, word-wise were left, but to whoever mm. that was, we do thank you because... You search Ultraman on any of these apps and, you know, we want to make sure we're not, again, don't search by Saved by the Bell, y'all, unless you want to listen to Saved by the Bell stuff. Yeah, that show came and ripped off our concept. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so also make sure that you do subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And finally, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, our usernames being AtrociousPod. Or you can head over to our website, atrociouspod.com, where you'll find our contact form for listener feedback or even prayer requests. Until next time. May God still bless you. <laughs> no, no. Get that last time. <laughs>